Welcome into TFW Live, the best kept secret in fantasy football. We keep that week one feeling going all year long. I'm Big Travi, joined here by one of my best friends, Austin Sear, and our guy Johnny Game Time Hicks is on baby duty. Much love to him, Jade and baby June. And a big welcome to Whisper Nation. What's going on? As always, we got to shout out the newest members of Whisper Nation, those who have subscribed and followed us on social media. We got a list. Here we go. Better Sports Network, Daniel O'Connell, Luke Sawhook, Troy King, Always Honest Abe, RJ, Remmel, Daniel Navarro, Tony McFeely, Paul M., Cracking the Bell, Cole Sylvie, Mike Lamplant, Alex Caruso, all a Y number 4721. Don't know where all the other 4,000 of those are, but we'll, they'll get here. Teets, The Final Fade, Sweaty Ray, Irish Goodbye, Dwayne McFarlane, Fantasy, uh, Farquad's Fantasy Flock, Mario Camara, Steve, ATT, The Table Studios, Trey Avalon, and UFO Fantasy Football. And if you love fantasy football, you want to enjoy being part of a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to just get one more subscriber on this stream. Just one more. Could be you. Could be you. Want to shout out, one more shout out, our guy Don Flick, who has been a part of Whisper Nation since day one and just received a job at Pro Football Focus as a data analyst. So big shout out to our boy Donnie. But we saved the best for last year. Our special guest on the pod right now, Andrew Erickson from Fantasy Pros. Woo! Yeah, you're yeah. going wild right now. <laughs> you can get his work over at fantasypros.com, following him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. We have all the links to his goodies down below. Uh, well, his work down below in the description. Andrew, what is good, man? I thought this was just about to become a manscaped ad for all that, <laughs> you know, that, that where, where, you, where we were leading us to, but uh, no, yeah. I, I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic, enjoying on a, a Thursday night. Nothing I'd rather do in the middle of June than talk about fantasy football because that's where we are at this time. Fantasy football used to be a seasonal you know, game. No, no, it's a 365. If you're not dialed into all the news and everything that's getting updated with training camp, OTAs, injuries, like you're going to be behind the eight ball. So uh, I'm glad here. I'm happy and excited to chop it up with you guys. Yeah, likewise, man. We're really excited. I mean, we were talking about this off air just a little bit ago. It's like with the the, the free agency period, with the trades, everything that goes on in the NFL, it's king, man. Even during March Madness, the NFL is getting better ratings. It doesn't even have a product it's pushing out just because of these trades and stuff going on. People on average watch the day one of the draft as much as they watch any NBA Finals game. It's just like... That's where we're at, man. NFL is king. Let's go. So we want to get to know you a little bit better before we start the show here, Andrew. And so we got a couple rapid fire questions. We're going to fire them off right here for you. Do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more? I root for my fantasy team probably more. I am a Patriots fan, so it hasn't been really hard to because usually they both do good. So usually it hasn't been one or the other. Uh, but most of the time, the Patriots are not a team that you want for fantasy. So it's yeah, true for my fantasy team. Patriots win. No biggie if not. I don't really have a lot of their players on my team, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good balance. It's a good team to balance that out with. You don't have to have a ton of Patriots right now. Uh, what year did you start playing fantasy football, Andrew? Uh, 2007, I shared a league with my dad, and uh, it was like a family league, and it was the year that Brady threw 50 touchdowns. So it was the year, right. year that I remember very vaguely because we all made fun of my aunt because she drafted Tom Brady in the first round. We're like, oh, like, why are you drafted a quarterback, like Homer pick? Yeah. And then he throws 50 touchdowns. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Just looks silly for dogging her there, huh? <laughs> Favorite fantasy football player of all time? I'm going to go with uh, T.O., Terrell Owens. You know, mm. from his days, whether it was in Dallas, or I remember picking him up when he was on the Bengals. And it was like, dude, this guy is still, like, humming along. Uh, I picked him up with the wave wire, and he was still just producing. So, yeah, T.O. for me. How about favorite fantasy football team name? Over the Dwayne Bow. Uh, I think it's Ooh, a classic. Um, nice. And Dwayne Bow is like famously, you know, he got pulled over and was like, hey, where is, is Taco Bell open? Like, that's like <laughs> what, he said, that's what he said to the cops. So Dwayne Bow, shout out to him in his one season where he had like 15 touchdowns. Yeah, the one season of, of glory with Matt Castle, I think it was. Yeah, that's amazing. I love, Wizard, I love Wizard, of Oz, Wizard of Oz themed team names too. I love Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Oh my, if you've got a Lions, Tigers, or a Bengals player on there, that's pretty fun that's too. Good. That's a great one as well. What is the sound or noise you love, Andrew? Uh, ESPN when you're on the clock. Dun -dun -dun. Okay. Dun -dun -dun. Yeah, like we like the on the clock sound for sure. Favorite swear word? Uh, fuck. 
Definitely. Yeah, of uh, course. That's the best one. <laughs> undefeated. What are the most leagues you've played in at one time? I think I've been in like 10 to 12, I think is probably the most I've been in, you know, from Dynasty, Redraft, all the best ball, whatever. Do you, are you planning on keeping it that way or you think you'll you'll continue to grow that number or shrink I'm trying it? To probably, probably trying to cut back more, honestly, yeah. because it's just I, I can't, you know, with the my job as a, an analyst, you know, trying to help other people. It's like I can barely set my own lineups. And then like Tuesday nights are like the worst night of the week is like, oh, God, I got to go through like friggin 15 yeah. leagues of waivers like all right i'll talk to my fiance i'll see you in like three hours i can't hang out tonight because i gotta go pick up this scrub off the waiver wire <laughs> literally doing the thought process for every single league i love that you're a man of a people you're like i'll sacrifice i'm gonna cut back because i need to help others i mean just such a, such a giver there andrew <laughs> most exciting it. fantasy football moment um, uh, uh, it happened a lot of, a while back, but I remember sweating DST scoring on like a Monday night football in the fantasy mm. football championship. And it came down to like a two point conversion with Matt Ryan, like throwing the ball and it got intercepted and it was like a, a pick two and it like, just like totally converted. It was, it was wild. I don't even remember the exact results, but you know, when you have to watch DSTs and like pay attention to every single play, be like, all right. Does that affect it? Like what's happening? So yeah, definitely that. That was yeah. When you're counting like tackles and sacks, <laughs> that's when it's like the real degen. It wasn't a tackle for a loss. He crossed the line of scrimmage. He got <laughs> yeah. right to it. I, like I did. Did not the behind rule book. Yeah. What is a tackle? <laughs> no, we took uh, away though. We took away removing points. That's fine. Favorite. We actually in our league of record, Austin and I. We uh, you know the there was a Buffalo blocked punt for a touchdown i think in, in championship week and it in in three out of four leagues big leagues that we knew they counted it but in sleeper they didn't and so he lost when other people would have won in other leagues oh man it in was, the championship was, uh, game yeah, by a separation of game. less than two yeah. points is like we literally awesome. messaged sleeper I messaged, was, yeah we used the the tfw twitter account to message him they're like no <laughs> we're not doing it so like, all right that's what it is <laughs> favorite day, game day beverage andrew uh, for me, it, it's H2O. I, I'm stone cold sober when I watch the games because I'm dialed in. Like, I want to make sure, you know, by the time the games are all finished that I know exactly what happened and I'm ready to report it Monday morning. I'm I'm up, I'm refreshed, and I'm ready to go. So for me, it's Lou said, Love that. Yeah, look, he wants less leagues. He doesn't want anything impairing his judgment. <laughs> this guy is for you, Whisper Nation. Make sure we follow Andrew Erickson, please. Uh, boneless or bone in on your wings? Uh, I honestly don't care. I, I really can go either way. I don't really have a preference. I know that there's a, a lot of hate towards the people that don't <laughs> like the, or that the boneless cause they're like chicken tenders or nuggets yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, dude, like I just like chicken in general. It's like, yeah. I, I don't eat, I don't eat the bones. So like, why does it really matter? Like, I'm just eating chicken. <laughs> so. Dude, best take so far on the boneless or bone in. I, I don't it. eat the bones, yo. Like, well, yeah, stress who them. does? Like so. cracking the bone, drinking the marrow. No, I eat the bones. I ate the bones. Yeah, right. KFC. <laughs> Kickoff is in two minutes, Andrew. You're still deciding your flex. Are you going to go with your gut or your own weekly rankings? I'm going with the rankings. Trust the process. I look at them all week long, catering them, putting to, putting them together. And it's like, if I just bail on them at the last second, it's like, well, why did I just spend the last week just doing these at all? So I yeah. stick to the rankings. I, I feel that. I feel that. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for these questions. We love the Whisper Nation. Got to know you a little bit more. We are going to move into the news and notes, but before we do, we got to tell you a little bit about Mock Draft Marathon coming up in July. Mock Draft Marathon. What is this? It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but... Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Let well, the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny and they're hijacking his draft. Are you going to blame it on a 78-year-old neighbor? Damn it, you guys stuck in a super flex? I knew it. Ball is going to taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. That's right, July 23rd and 24th, 24 straight hours on YouTube. Best way to know or and like see the action, get involved, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel now and help us continue to grow the brand. All right, we're gonna move on to some news and notes. The first item of business here is Ezekiel Elliott. Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy believes Ezekiel Elliott is completely healthy now. Andrew, I'll start with you. Are we buying the, the supreme health of Ezekiel Elliott? I've actually heard that if you play through injury, some of the scar tissue doesn't heal as well. I, I, I think I've heard you be a little bit more out on Zeke. How are you feeling where his ADP is now? 
I mean, I think that his ADP is fair where he is, but he's going in a range where I would rather just draft wide receivers. I, I don't think that mm -hmm. Ezekiel Elliott, yeah, he can beat his ADP, you know, as a mid-range RB2, maybe finish as a back-end RB1, but that doesn't move the needle for me. Like, he's mm -hmm. not a difference maker anymore. He's honestly, like, it seems like it's an insult, but he's like, kind of more in that like David Montgomery tier of where he's an RB2, he's really solid, he's going to probably play all the games, but at the end of the day, like no one's going to be like, "Oh, Zeke league winner." And that's what I want to get in the middle rounds. I appreciate that. I appreciate that Dak Prescott keeping with the Cowboys. Uh Mike McCarthy said of Dak Prescott, he hopes he will have more rushing opportunities in 2022. Austin, when we were looking at Dak, he had ran a whole lot more earlier in his career. Then he had the ankle injury. And then coming back from that last year, he just didn't seem to run as much. Mm -hmm. With Amari Cooper gone, the target tree kind of narrows. Do you think they're, do you, do you buy this from Mike McCarthy that there'll be more rushing out of Dak this year? I think they're going to need it. I think we're used to seeing a potent Dallas offense that has been littered with effective weapons that are looking a little bit different. As Andrew just pointed out about Zeke, who's been one of the best running backs in the league for at least a half a decade, is now slipping down to different tiers. We'll see how active Tony Pollard gets. We know he's good, but he's not like supreme or anything like that. CeeDee Lamb is awesome, but they're used to having three awesome wide receivers in Dallas. And now you've got Gallup, who's still hurt, Amari Cooper, who is gone. We're talking about Dalton Schultz now as a shinier piece. This is not the same Dallas Cowboys offense that we were salivating over the last couple of years. I think it's still going to be good, but I think you're going to need to make up some gaps from that lack, lack of talent comparatively to where you've been in years past. So yeah, Dak being able to run a little bit more, going to get you a few more first downs, going to open up the field a little bit more. I, I am buying into this a little bit because I don't know if they're going to be able to continue producing unless they, unless they do. Yeah, I think their offense will be high paced and stuff again. Like obviously it'll it'll they'll, they'll throw and they'll be fast. They want it to be. Yeah. But last year they got into so many good positive game scripts for them. They could just run out the clock in the back half of games. I don't think it'll be that way this year, but we'll we'll see. They still have an easy schedule. Moving on, Kyle Pitts hopes to improve pre-snap in 2022. Uh, Andrew, what's your overall temperature on on Kyle Pitts here? Because obviously, no, not a what one touchdown last year, uh, but he should be primed. I mean, this guy is just hitting other every other efficiency metric off the chart. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is one of the guys that I'm willing to almost break my rule of drafting players on good teams. Like that's like kind of like my five word mm -hmm. mantra, where I'm just like especially in the early rounds. I don't want to invest in bad offenses because that's where you hit landmines. Like it's really easy to hit landmines on really bad offenses where you're over investing in a player. And Pitts is someone that I think that I will make an exception for because I think that he is uber talented. And I think that there is a opportunity for targets for him in the Falcons offense. He already showed us last year. I mean, as a rookie tight end, like what he did, even though from the fantasy perspective, it wasn't like, amazing but from a statistical standpoint i mean kyle pitts was off the charts necessarily as a rookie tight end and he still should be the number one in that offense and you know i've been trying to finagle my way into convincing myself that you know a combination of mariota and desmond ritter can somehow make things work and i guess the one positive thing that they could bring is unlike matt ryan last year who is a statue in the in the pocket like he had no chance behind that offensive line uh the falcons offensive line still not good but the fact that Ritter and Mariota have some mobility to their game, it does lend itself to, okay, maybe these guys can create a little bit more off script than Matt Ryan could. And we've at least seen Mariota target a tight end and support a fantasy tight end and Delaney Walker in the past. So mm. I'm starting to, and also you get the positional advantage with Kyle Pitts playing tight end. So it's a little bit different than like a receiver where there's a lot more options. Like we're limited with how many tight ends we could actually have, but Kyle Pitts, entering his second season might be the best tight end in real life in the NFL. So that's not something I'm willing to just like totally disregard because, oh, well, he's on the Falcons. Can't I can't draft him. Um, he's still someone that's really in, in high in my consideration in that round three, round four. Yeah, and he should have tons of touchdown or positive regression heading his way after last year, of course, as well. So sign me up for that. Uh, Pitts a rookie last year. A rookie this year is Traylon Burks. Titans head coach Mike Rabel reports that Traylon Burks is unavailable for Titans minicamp. So Austin, I actually want both of you to speak on this. Austin, I'll start with you because now we've just, we continue to see these weird reports for Traylon every other week. He's mm -hmm. got asthma. He's off the field. Like 
It's mm. becoming the, you know, from the, is it the next Jamar Chase joke that he can't catch balls to like, okay, now I'm, I'm starting to get a little more concerned. How are, where's your concern level on Traylon Burks, Austin? It's low right now, but it's on notice. I am paying attention to upcoming reports. I get it's it's at this point in the season. This is somebody who's coming in with some different medical issues. He's dealt with those his entire life. There's going to be some extra steps that he'll take to make sure that he's right. And whether it be asthma, sickle cell traits and other players in the past, certain things have been done. And then those players have been extremely effective. So I'm not concerned, but my concern level is on notice. Andrew, you kind of feel the same way, or are you, are you really kind of uh, getting a little scared on Burks here? No, I mean, it, it's usually the other reports. You know, usually guys sh- are showing up in the best shape of their life, but mm. the, <laughs> in, in the in the regards of, of Traylon Burks, I mean, these guys have been, you know, picked and poked at, you know, prodded, like, over the last couple months, basically, throughout the entire pre-draft process, and it's the fact that maybe the guy just took some time off and is just like, mm. okay, maybe he's not in this elite shape that we want him to be, but, you know, where where is he at in August? Like yeah. the, the, the point of like these practices is to get better and to get into football shape. Like he's not going out tomorrow and playing in an NFL game. Like that's not happening. So I think that being put on notice and kind of paying attention to it, like I, right. Like in August, like we're seeing him in the preseason, he's like throwing up on the sidelines. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> and that's like a reason to be like, okay, man, like we told you not to eat the bones and the chicken wings. Like, come on, <laughs> like that, that wasn't the plan. So I think that, yeah, it's something to pay attention to, but right now it's just, uh, it just seems like it's beautiful. noise right now. I ate the bones. Yeah. <laughs> so did Traylon Burks. All right, moving on. Josh Palmer. I know Andrew's probably going to like this. The Athletics' Daniel Popper reports that Chargers wide receiver Josh Palmer, Palmer played with the first-team offense during minicamp. Andrew, I kind of want to ask if we think that Palmer has all the tools to not only be the contingency plan for Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, but also like that Tyler Boyd-esque like third wide receiver you know, that Russell Gage or AB in the past, not saying he's to that level, but got, you know, we're going to have some offenses that are going to support three guys. Do you think Palmer can get there this year? Yeah, I really do think that, you know, Palmer was someone I liked a lot coming out of the college ranks. Um, you know, as someone that was a day two pick, it, it was not surprising to me. It surprised a lot of people that he went that high, but I liked him a lot. I liked his profile coming out as a guy that could command air yards down the field, could make big plays. And last year, I mean, he did exactly what he needed to do when he got an opportunity he delivered. He scored touchdowns. He made big plays, and he showed that he could separate and operate not only from the slot, but also on the outside. So whether it was Mike Williams or Keenan Allen that missed time, Josh Palmer showed that he could do more, and Justin Herbert's his quarterback. Like, that's really as simple as it gets. Justin Herbert's his quarterback, and Jalen Guyton is just a guy. It's literally in his name. Guy. Like that's, Jag tag. That's, <laughs> that's Jalen Guyton. So I think Palmer is someone, it's either going to be him or Gerald Everett that like has a lot of more value than is being represented or reflected by their ADP. Like everyone's convinced, obviously Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are going to eat in this offense, but Herbert and a high flying offense can support more than two weapons. So I think that it's going to be either Palmer or Everett. So I'm glad to see the Palmers, you know, operate with the first team already. If you had to pick one Everett or Palmer, who is it right now? I would take Josh Palmer. I think it's a little more exciting than a tight end. Usually if we can get a third wide receiver going, but yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, We'll move on to Terry McLaurin speaking Wednesday. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera stated, we're not trading Terry McLaurin. Austin, do you believe Ron Rivera? And if he were traded, where would you want to see him go? I don't really care if I believe him or not. And not to dismiss your question here, but I want to talk about the impact this has, I think for Terry McLaurin. And I feel like Terry McLaurin has been driving down a road that has two diverging paths come up and he is at this crossroads and he's looking to his left and he's looking to his right. And on one side, he can be an above average, decent wide receiver on the other path. He could be a superstar. And I think he's looking there and he's sitting and he's saying, who am I going to be? And I honestly like the fact that we're getting a little bit more pause on Terry McLaurin. I like that. I'm not a big fan of players holding out for contracts, but sometimes I think you do get dismissed and you got to stand up for yourself a little bit here. I haven't seen Terry McLaurin be an issue type player and now is at a pivotal moment. And I'm just actually over the moon to hear Ron Rivera say, we're not trading Terry McLaurin. Like this means you like him, you want him on the team, um, or you're just gassing him up to trade him later. So to your question, who, if, if they did, Trade him. I mean, perennially, I'm going to go with my Packers over here. Love Christian Watson's future prospects. Uh, I, not just because I drafted him in our dynasty rookie li- draft this year, but I think, you know, Terry McLaurin and Aaron Rodgers could be awesome. That would be a really good fit. Uh, I would also like to see him. Um, there's, I think, a lot of places that he could go because look at the quarterbacks that 
that Terry McLaurin has dealt with in the years past. And he's been in that wide receiver two area. I can't really get that much worse for Terry McLaurin. Um, unless he went to like just a super loaded up wide receiver room. Seattle. I wouldn't like to so yeah, loaded right receiver room was shitty. Oh, that, was shitty. That wouldn't be great. Yeah. That's I just you know had to bring in the grossness. Of course, uh, we'll move on to Odell Beckham Jr. In an interview with the Athletic Rams, Kevin Demoff said that the team is optimistic they can get a deal done with free agent Odell Beckham Jr. We've got a bunch of these wide receivers that could be coming on late. Andrew, we've got Gallup, we've got Godwin, uh, OBJ, maybe the latest of them. Obviously, the rookie Jamison Williams. How are you approaching Odell Beckham without a team right now? And, and like, if he goes back to the Rams, let's say, where would you kind of have him? It's it's tough to parse through because you have Allen Robinson kind of now added into the mix there with the Los Angeles Rams. You have Van Jefferson there. You know, how are things going to play out with him potentially not even be available till like November? Like, like is he even going to be someone that we have in fantasy? Like, how great are you going to feel about starting him? I think that like from a best ball perspective, he's really interesting to take because a lot of these best ball tournaments are significantly more like the payout structure is very top heavy at week mm -hmm. 17. So it's like if Beckham is playing on the Rams in week 17, like you want that, you want part of that on your roster, especially because he's free right now. Like you can get him in the 17th or 18th round because he's not on the team. But I think that it makes sense to kind of have the mindset that, okay, like at the end of the day, he's probably going to be on a contender. So he's probably mm -hmm. going to be on a good offense. And I think that's worth taking a shot on um, because what we saw, at least from the end of last year, he started to really turn it on. You know, basically when he's not attached to Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> is a really good wide receiver like we all thought he was. And it was just this, you know, this mirage that Mayfield kind of put on with, with Beckham that just made us kind of think twice about it. But I think Beckham put that to rest with his play last year. All right. Well, we will move on to Melvin Gordon, who said that he's ready to battle for the top spot in the Broncos backfield this season. Austin, you have Javante Williams in Dynasty. Mm -hmm. A little bit of your heart died when the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, signed Melvin. No, I'm just kidding. But I wanted to say, you know, like when we look at this, is there a there's there's almost like a case for Melvin Gordon to be like that that poor man's James Conner of this year, like a guy that's getting really slept on an ADP that could really actually benefit a lot of teams that go and get him later on in drafts. How are you feeling when you look at the Broncos backfield? Well, I'd agree that Melvin Gordon is a value right now. He was an RB2 last year, and he is being drafted as if he is not expected to be an RB2 again this year. We saw Javante Williams' ADP spike up. I think he is overpriced at this point in time. I think... Javante Williams improves on his performance from last year, and I think Melvin Gordon slips a little from his last year, but not by a crazy margin. I think you end up seeing Javante Williams be a higher-end RB2 when it's said and done, and Melvin Gordon be a back-end RB2, maybe an RB3. We'll see how the injuries shake out. But I, th I think right now Melvin Gordon is a great value. He's got a lot of upside. I think he's in really good conditioning. He's in good health. Um, and, and, yeah, I'd, I'd get Melvin Gordon, get Javante Williams if you can get it for a fair price. We'll move on to our last bit of news here. Baker Mayfield, uh, CBS Sports. Jonathan Jones reports that there's an urgency on Carolina's side to trade for Baker Mayfield soon. This feels like something that Cleveland leaked out so that they could get Carolina to trade for him. But Andrew, when you look at this, does Baker Mayfield get you excited about DJ Moore, CMC, if he goes to Carolina? I don't think it really matters for CMC. I think CMC's kind of shown us that. I mean, it doesn't really matter who's quarterback. But when he was the best fantasy scorer ever, you know, he had horrible quarterbacks and it didn't even really matter. So I don't think it affects him necessarily. I mean, if the offense is better, then awesome. Like more scoring opportunities. I'll move CMC. I can't really move him more where, where I have him ranked. So um, I would say, though, I think it is really good for DJ Moore because we have seen Mayfield fuel a wide receiver one season before. Like we've had Jarvis Landry or a fringe wide receiver one, excuse me. So, mm -hmm. you know, Jarvis Landry looking at his seasons in 2018, 2019, Jarvis Landry was wide receiver 19 and wide receiver 13 and half point scoring. So DJ Moore has never finished that high. Like DJ Moore has been like as great as the guy is. You just look at how he's finished and it's always wide receiver two. And as long as he has terrible quarterbacks, it's never going to get past wide receiver two. And there's value in that to having a wide receiver two, a steady commodity, but he should be so much more in, in a similar ilk to like a Terry McLaurin where he can be a superstar. And I think with Mayfield, as long as they just don't develop whatever chemistry OBJ and Mayfield had, um, <laughs> which was just so abnormal, I think that it is an upgrade for DJ Moore. You know, anything, anything but Sam Darnold, anything. 
I want to bring in the football therapist point also on this one, because I just have to connect some dots with Robbie Anderson in his late 20s, but in his 20s at the wide receiver position, mulling retirement, which I thought was a bit strange, but then thinking how two weeks or so before this mulling retirement, he was publicly posting, do not bring Baker over here, you know, in different words of his, like, no, don't. It was very public. I was like, dude, you're going to see him at an event at some point, and it's going to be awkward. Like, (laughs) so now the fact that he might be coming to the team, you know, that's to me is almost like Robbie Anderson being like, I am now going to retire. The The talks of Baker coming on board are intensifying, and I'm actually thinking of bowing out of this one. And so the further I see Baker from the Panthers, the more I see Robbie Anderson tightening up those cleats. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can't help but think it might be a little. You know, I think Robbie Anderson's a fine wide receiver, maybe even above, a little bit above average, whatever you want to call him. But I love that he's the guy throwing shade at like Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. It's like, that's you. Who are you? You're the wide receiver version of those guys. Like, please stop. Uh, so that's, I just think it's funny. But you guys, ego is a, is a, is a funny thing. All right, we'll move on to Andrew Erickson's sleepers right now. If you want to find this awesome thread that we kind of got into that that Andrew posted, you that link is in the description below. So is his Twitter, and then to the actual article where a lot of this comes from behind the you know premium membership at Fantasy Pros, that link is there as well. You went through all 32 rosters. You wanted to identify a sleeper on each of those teams. And so we went through a few of the guys that you posted. And, and the first one I have to just be stoked on is Kadarius Tony because I've been hyping him up myself as well. So we look at Kadarius Tony of the New York Giants is ADP wide receiver 49. Andrew says he flashed future target magnet potential after posting 2.14 yards per route run. That was 11th and account uh, commanding a 25% target rate per route run in 2021 tied for seventh best in the NFL in 2021. His 92nd percentile PFF receiving grade versus single coverage suggests that Tony can win wherever he lines up. I've been really on this Tony bandwagon, Andrew, as of late. I really do think he has that wide receiver one upside, like inside the top 12. My question is a a two-parter. Do you agree that he has that top 12 upside? And is ADP currently around wide receivers 47? You mentioned six days ago, 49. How high would he have to climb an ADP to make you feel uncomfortable in drafting him? I mean, I think that for a top 12, I think it's probably slightly aggressive just because of the, the Giants offense. Like, that's the thing. Like, Daniel Jones is there, and, you know, I've talked about it already on, the, on this show, just talking about I want guys in good offenses. And right now, I'm not willing to say the Giants are going to be a good offense. I, I don't. I think they should be better. Like they have to be better than they've been the last two years. But I can't come on here and say, you know what, Brian Dable is going to fix literally everything. Daniel Jones is going to be the next coming of Josh Allen. Like I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. Like they should improve, but I don't expect them to become now. You know, a top ten offense because they changed the coach. You know, again, personnel still matters. And right now, like Daniel Jones is still a question mark. So with Tony, I would say top twelve is probably aggressive. And in terms of like his ADP, I think that once he becomes a player that you're drafting as like a starter, like if he's in the top 36, like I'm, I'm kind of feeling like, okay, like I have to start Kadarius Tony week one. Like that's a lot to ask. I feel like, because I just don't know how it's going to work out. Like there, Tony could be, and that's kind of why I list him as like a sleeper, like breakout player where I could see him becoming now, okay, he's the number one target in the Giants offense. He's electric, the talent, I think from a talent standpoint, I think he's probably the most talented receiver on the, on the roster. Um, but we know Wanda Robinson had a really great college pedigree. Kenny Galladay has been, he's, he's a proven asset. Like he has done it at the NFL level and just totally tanked the last year because of how bad the offense was. So it's not like he's playing around with a bunch of scrubs, but there is an opportunity there for him to be a player. And when you just kind of look at him stylistically, you know, compared to the Brian Dable offense in Buffalo, he looks the most like Diggs. Mm. Like he, he profiles mm. most like Diggs Galladay would be Gabriel Davis. And you have Wanda Robinson filling in as like the Cole Beasley role. So of those three roles, Diggs is obviously the one that you want for fantasy, which is why if I have to pick one of these giants receivers to like hope that is the breakout guy, I would go with Kadarius Tony. Mm. You, you still like Kenny G though, too. Cause he's even more of a value at this point. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I don't want to write off Kenny Galladay after just how horrible the, the quarterback play was last year. And, and like I mentioned before, like he's done it before, like this guy has double digit touchdown upside because he's a red zone monster. And last year they just like didn't throw him the ball in the red zone. It was, it was horrible. 
um, mm. for him last year. But no, yeah, if Tony gets taken, you know, I don't have any problem taking Galladay, you know, a round or two later. Yeah, I like Steph Smalls, who came on our program a few weeks back, huge Giants fan. And she's like, I think the fantasy football community has forgot that there are wide receivers in New York and they actually will throw the ball. Like, it's going to happen. Someone will catch it. Like, I know, weird, but it will happen. Well, yeah, and it's like the, the logic says, like, I know we want guys on good teams, as, as, as Andrew was saying, but the logic says that they're going to have to throw a lot because they're going to be a bad team. So, like, if we can get that narrowed down target-wise, then we should like one of those guys, if not two. All right, moving on to Alan Lazard of the Green Bay Packers. His current ADP is wide receiver 48. Andrew lays this out on Twitter, says, Aaron Rodgers trusts Lazard after they have spent the last four seasons together and their chemistry was on full display over the final five weeks of the 2021 regular season. Lazard was the wide receiver eight in PPR scoring on the back of 21 receptions for 290 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Someone on Green Bay will have to replace Devontae Adams' elite red zone production, and Lazard looks to fit the mold at six foot five. Andrew, as a Packers fan, I should probably recuse myself or at least try and play like devil's advocate on Lazard, but he had his best yards per route run posting 1.77. He that came two years ago. And some could actually argue that maybe Lazar just isn't that good, more of like a role player. What would your counterpoint to that be? I know you laid some of this out already. Yeah, I, I think that I, I would agree with that. I, I don't think Lazard is some like Kadarius Tony level talent. And, and really, mm. I think that that's why when you look at sleepers, I think it's important to like denote like what you're describing the sleeper as like Lazard to me is like a value, whereas Kadarius Tony is a potential breakout. Mm. So that's kind of the difference where I, th I think if you draft Lazard as you know, the wide receiver 45 where he's going, like he's going to definitely beat that ADP. Like you're going to feel much better about starting him week to week if he ends up becoming that lead receiver for Aaron Rodgers, which I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers has been, is a veteran quarterback that needs trust. Like it takes so long for these guys to develop. We saw Devontae Adams. It took two, took three years for them to finally kind of start to click and to start to mesh. And it just takes time with some of these older quarterbacks to gain the trust. And he has Alan Lazard's trust. So even if Lazard isn't this alpha, you know, wide receiver with this, you know, so much talent, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to give him opportunities to put up fantasy points. And, you know, throughout his career, he's had bursts and spurts where he has done so. Like I mentioned, like at the tail end of last season. So I think that Lazard and someone that kind of reminds me of Lazard last year that I both I basically just like wrote off like I was like this guy he sucks like he can't do anything it was Russell Gage um mm. I was like Russell Gage he's not good like he's not efficient you know he was like one of the more inefficient players and I didn't open my mind to the possibilities that hey man this guy's 25 years old 26 years old um uh, he can you can still improve like you can get better <laughs> and when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback like that's your ticket to getting better so I think that Lazard could have a Russell Gage-esque type of season where he is really productive. And we look back at him, we're like, wow, like Alan Lazard was like really good through this, like these stretch of weeks. So yeah, that's why I like Lazard is a really good value. I feel like every week we can look at Aaron Rodgers and psychoanalyze. It's like, oh, he's got trust <laughs> issues, you know, commitment <laughs> issues, vaccine issues. Like, yeah, what a head case. He's got but some issues, man. Yeah, love him. Really, people love are going to so people, as my buddy Austin says there. All right, moving on to the Chicago Bears. Cole Komet, uh, Andrew, you say he's the easiest tight end breakout to call in all of fantasy football. His ADP is tight end fifteen. Komet's eighth ranked route participation and seventh ranked target share, seventeen percent from twenty twenty one, hardly align with his fantasy production. No tight end finished with more fantasy points under expectation, negative thirty six point six, than Notre Dame product Cole Komet. That designation is a sign of commit that he is due for a fantasy breakout. It signaled uh, as much for guys like Zach Ertz and Dawson Knox, who scored fewer points than expected in 2020 before contributing in fantasy this past year. Both tight ends finished 2021 as a top 10 option in points per game. In addition, he has the requisite size and athleticism, supporting an 87th percentile height, 88th percentile vertical jump, and 89th percentile broad jump. Komet checks off all the boxes for a tight end breakout, and that's exactly why I, you, Andrew, <laughs> have him ranked four spots ahead of ADP. So I guess my question for you, Andrew, on this was, do you think there's a case to take guys with a better environment, maybe QB, ahead of him, say like Irv Smith or Robert Tunyon? We just got done talking about the Packers a little bit. 
Um, or do you think his necessity to his offense, given what they haven't done in Chicago, gives him the clear edge over those guys? I think in the range where you have to take, because we're talking about late round tight ends at this point, like this right. is where you're looking at. So I'm willing to take a guy that has the role that could turn into a top five tight end. Like Robert Tanyan, the only way he's going to become a top five tight end is if he scores 12 touchdowns, like like basically what he did two years ago. And that's definitely still in his range of outcomes, similar with Irv Smith. But Cole Komet, his role on this offense as the clear-cut tight end one is so clear. And the only reason last year he wasn't able to really get anything done from his, his, from his role was because Jimmy Graham was always out there, you know, in the red zone, stealing touchdowns. And that's why Cole Komet can really never get over the hump. And you mentioned offensive, offensive environment. You know, I think Justin Fields is a good quarterback. Like, I, mm. I, I don't know why that's become, like, suddenly a hot take because the Bears, like, didn't draft, like, a bunch of wide receivers or sign a bunch of free agent receivers, even though they have Darnell Mooney and they have Cole Komet. And it reminds me a lot of a certain other mobile quarterback that got a lot of criticism. His Going into his second year, Lamar Jackson, he had Marquise Ooh. Brown and Mark Andrews. Those were his top two options. And what happened? Oh, he won MVP. So I, I just there you think go. Justin Fields, Fields is- wins MVP, says Andrew Erickson. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, man, like the crazier things have happened. I'll say yep. that much. Yeah, yep. But I think that Komet is, you know, entering his third year and he has a opportunity for targets. Like that's the biggest thing with these tight end breakouts is you have to have an opportunity to get targets in your offense. And Cole Komet has that because it's just Darnell Mooney and some 25-year-old guy that they thought they drafted that they thought was a good pick. So <laughs> I'm going with Cole Komet. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I like Komet's upside for sure. Yeah. All right, moving on to Ramondre Stevenson of the New England Patriots. Andrew lays out that he experienced a very successful rookie season that should not be overlooked. After fully escaping the Belichick doghouse in Week 9, Stevenson earned top grades across the board. He was PFF's third highest graded running back at 84.2. Additionally, he ranked 13th in rushing yards and yards per route run at 1.41. For fantasy, the rookie running back was the RB25 in total points scored eight spots behind his backfield teammate, Damian Harris. Stevenson and Harris split touches nearly 50-50 in the team's remaining games. In the six games together, Stevenson slightly edged out Harris and expected fantasy points per game, 9.3 versus 8.9. There's a high ceiling for Stevenson, says Andrew. If you ask former Patriots linebacker Rob Ninkovich, the ESPN analyst said that Stevenson, quote, will be one of the better, if not one of the top three running backs in the league, based on what I saw with his strength, explosion, and catch and run ability. So Andrew says, with the rumors coming out of Foxborough that Stevenson is a dark horse to see an expanded role on third downs, with James White returning from the injury, the second year back needs to be a priority target as the draft slips into the double-digit round. <clears throat> so I love this breakdown. I like Ramondre a lot myself. The problem when I'm taking – I have a rule. You know, you talk about – you write down your mantras. I have a little mo- a notebook I keep notes in as well. And in that section of notes, probably from three or four years ago it was just don't draft a new england running back well spoiler alert i draft new england running backs every year because i'm always like it will work out these guys are good it's going to be a run heavy team um and we like to talk about the unpredictable bellatrix in this industry and travis and i talk about how bellatrix are actually fairly predictable there's going to be a lot of stable backs all with their semi-unique roles who are going to get more utilization depending on the matchup and based on the matchups you kind of do have a decent idea of which back will be utilized the most in that game now it's fine for week to weeks but it makes the overall predictions from where i'm looking at it a little bit tough um so do you agree with this overall overview of the bellatrix and if so how should we approach this new england backfield knowing that Ramondre? but as well as some others are legit good running backs. We're all going to get time. Yeah, no, I think that that's spot on, you know, talking about how Belichick plays the matchups with certain players. You can see it by the way that they have guys active in on game day, you know, depending on, all right, we're going to have a run heavy approach. Like we're going to have Stevenson active. They did it last year, you know, like kind of like cycling through Stevenson and he was inactive. Then they had JJ Mm -hmm. Taylor, you know, he would be active for certain games. And, but then ultimately whatever happens, if someone puts the ball on the ground, like you're an act, you're going to be inactive the next week. So the, the, the fumbles usually kind of solve everything because they just basically are the chopping block of running backs in the backfield. Mm-hmm. It's like, right, well, you fumbled. You're gone. Welcome to the doghouse. <laughs> so Ramondre was in the doghouse during the beginning of last year. 
and he was able to get out of it. Like that in itself was mm -hmm. an accomplishment, especially for a rookie running back, which the Patriots hardly ever feature. When you look back at historically with Belichick, it's really only been the first round picks that basically have to play because of where they're drafted, like Lawrence Maroney and Sony Michelle. Like Ramondre Stevenson was a day three pick. And he yeah. managed to get not only get on the field, but carve out a near 50-50 role in the second half of the season. So, the, you know, the Rob Ninkovich quote really stuck out to me because he wasn't even talking about, like, best running back on the Patriots, like, best running back in the league. Mm. And when you look at his, you know, the second half of last season, it's hard to argue with, like, Stevenson was one of the best running backs in the league at the end of last season. Like, from a receiving standpoint, from a rushing standpoint, he was off the charts. And I think that I almost just prefer drafting Stevenson instead of Harris because if I draft Harris, in my mind, I'm going to view him as a starter. And I'm like, all right, I need to start this guy every week. Whereas Ramondre, I'm drafting as a depth piece. And then I'm just waiting for him to, you know, assert himself to become the number one runner in this backfield. Or if a Damian Harris injury happens, because if that does occur, Damian Harris has been banged up. You no, know, Ramondre has a three-down skill set, which we just haven't seen from Damian Harris. We haven't seen Damian Harris get involved more in the receiving game, where Stevenson did it as a rookie, which is just mm -hmm. really rare to find. So I think that Stevenson, you know, and I was originally on Damian Harris earlier in the offseason, so I've kind of shifted gears a little bit. You know, Stevenson is honestly just like a really cheap version of A.J. Dillon. Like, it would not surprise me whatsoever to be talking about A.J. Dill or uh, talking about Stevenson next year. And we're talking about a guy that, you know, if Damien Harris, you know, comes back to the Patriots, you know, we're talking about Damien Harris is like a sixth-round pick and Ramondre is a seventh-round pick, like right behind him if he's not already the lead bell cow um, for the Patriots. So I think that the fact that they drafted other running backs doesn't really move the needle for me. I don't think those guys are going to be involved. Like, Ramondre being involved as a rookie was such a rare feat. Like, Kevin Harris... Pierre Strong, I think I like their profiles. I was glad the Patriots drafted them as like a fan, but I don't expect anything from them in year one. I, I really think it's going to be Damian Harrison Stevenson. And hmm. like you had alluded to, you know, Stevenson might just be the better running back. Well, and like you, you mentioned it there with Harriet Harris and like their ability to kind of almost force. I mean, Ramondre had missed blocks and fumbled like that's usually like you'll get it's cut for that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like with Belichick, but you said it like they kind of forced, they, you know, they forced played him there. So I can hear these Damian Harris stands right now being like, Hey, he's in contract year. He was good last year. A lot of it was touchdown dependent, but do you see new England just pounding him into the ground? Or do you actually think that Stevenson could possibly be that much better that they're just going to have to throw him on the field? It could definitely work in, in both ways where, you know, maybe they pound Damien Harris to start the year and maybe Stevenson is really not involved at all. And then what do you do? Oh, you see him hit the waiver wire and then you stash him like that. Like that's mm. the play there. And, mm. you know, don't forget that last year, Sony Michelle was in a contract year. What happened to him? Oh, he got traded to a team that lost the running back. You mm. don't think that Damien yeah. Harris could be a potential trade candidate that the mm. Patriots, hey, we have so many running backs now. Like, let's trade Damian Harris. Oh, Josh Jacobs is gonna, is gonna hold out. Oh, Josh McDaniels, you want Damian Harris? Oh, you can take him. You can give us a third round pick. Like, there are so many scenarios where Damian Harris gets moved. You know, they use him up. You know, in the in the beginning of the season, and then when it really matters, you know, they turn the ball to Ramondre Stevenson because Harris has always operated as a you know a committee back. Like, he's never been the featured guy where Stevenson showed us last year that he could really take on that role. So, yeah, right now for me, like based on just ADPs that I've seen Harris is going usually just way too far where I mean week one we could see a 50-50 split and we could see Stevenson play more on third downs and it's like mm. okay so what am I getting out of Damian Harris like I just you need touchdowns from Harris and that's what we got last year and it's just hard to bank on them happening year over year especially with Stevenson you know just he's going to get touches in this offense yeah I think the interesting thing will be to watch James White's health so, like, yeah. if we get through the summer and James White just – it's still murky, then I'll start to believe some of these things that Ramondre picking up the receiving. Like, I know he can catch, but it's just about, like, if James White's healthy, they're going to give James White the James White role for sure. But, like, we, we have questions about that, so we'll just kind of see how that plays out. Moving on to another, you know, kind of wide receiver or another a uh, room that we have questions about, the Kansas City wide receiver room. But, Andrew, you're making the case for MVS here being drafted in best ball ADP at wide receiver 54 just less than a day after trading Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, the Chiefs then signed MVS to help him replace the big play production. He is a former ex-Packer, uh, and he is a field stretcher. He ranked inside the top five in yards per reception over the last two seasons, so he will feel right at home catching bombs from Patrick Mahomes. 
is sure to experience spiked weeks of production attached to the Chiefs' big arm quarterback, but valuing him more than a weekly boomer bust wide receiver three slash four would be malpractice. MVS does get a bump in the rankings with a slight upgrade at QB and the opportunity to see larger target share, but I wouldn't view him too dissimilarly to how he was perceived in Green Bay for the past four seasons. He has never commanded 75 targets in a season. However, MVS will have an advantage fighting for reps as a starting perimeter wide receiver Mm -hmm. with most Chiefs receivers vying for snaps from the slot between Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore, and Mikul Hardman. I like him the most at cost among Chiefs wide receivers. I like him a lot at the cost as well, Andrew. And I've heard a lot, though, in the industry talking about who's going to fill the Tyreek Hill opportunity and those vacated targets. And I'm wondering if we think, if you think anybody outside of Kelsey, because we know what Kelsey is about, but does anybody outside of Travis Kelsey emerge as an actual piece, consistent piece for your team? Or in Kansas City, we do we end up with more of a carousel of wide receivers throughout the year, similar to how we had in Kansas City outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? Like, who is going to be that third wide receiving option? Some weeks it was Cole, Some weeks it was Byron Pringle. Maybe you get Robinson has a game that pops off. Do you think we actually get a number two wide receiver? Or do we have a lot of receivers who have good weeks here and there, but it's a bit inconsistent on which one it is? I think I'm more, I've been more open to the idea that it's going to be a committee approach, like with the receivers, where we're, we're, it's a different guy every single week. Like it's, it's you're mm-hmm. playing matchups every single week with these Chiefs receivers, like you had mentioned before. And it kind of reminds me of like when you go back to, in, you know, I was doing a lot of Andy Reid research, just trying to figure out, you know, what he did after he lost, you know, Terrell Owens. Like what happened after mm-hmm. he lost T.O. And basically it was kind of like spreading the wealth. Like he would always have one guy kind of be the main target, which in this case is Travis Kelsey. But for the most part, there were a lot of seasons with him and McNabb where they were just playing with like nobody at receiver. You know, Kev Curtis was a name that I brought up from the, like some guy had a thousand yards receiving who had never heard of that was on the Eagles because he just kind of was that guy that year but he wasn't any, you know, uber talent in any way, shape or form. So the Eagles have done this before where, you know, Brian Westbrook has been their number one wide receiver, you know, for Andy Reid. And we have question marks about, you know, who's the running back going to be catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they have a lot of depth, I, I guess I would say. And I think that the fact that they didn't want to pay one receiver the Tyreek Hill money is their version of, okay, how are we going to make up Tyreek Hill's production? with five different guys like that's going to be the way we're going to do it not necessarily with one guy taking on his production and for me with MVS, it's just so clear what his role will be in this offense where everyone else is like i i don't know like who's starting like who's in the starting mm. lineup i i feel confident that it's going to be MVS in the starting lineup based on the salary that they gave him and the fact that his skill set as the vertical burner down the field on the outside is so unique to the other receivers so I feel confident that he's going to be on the field most of the time. Week one against the Arizona Cardinals, I know who's going to be out there. It's going to be MBS, and he's probably going to have a big game. And Mahomes has a great deep ball. And I know that they've been kind of they kind of went away from that a little bit last year with teams trying to you know coax them into throwing the ball more underneath, and that's going to happen. That's going to make MBS more boom or bust. But at this range where you're drafting receivers, oh, I can get. Patrick Mahomes deep threat who has been Tyree kill for the past, you know, four or five years. Now I can get him outside the top 40 wide receivers. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Yeah. I mean, we, we asked, asked the question in the chat and whisper nation, giving us all different answers. This is one of those questions. Me and Austin, were talking, we're just going to be talking about it all summer long, which guys are going to be, I think their ADPs are like, we are seeing Juju get steamed up now. I think we'll see if sky Moore can get back healthy. He'll get, you know, some, some robust uh, ADP action as well. So going to be an interesting one that we'll dissect all summer long excited for it andrew erickson those were the sleepers remember the thread is in the description so you guys can go check it out or go to fantasypros.com but we had a couple more tweets you had that we just thought were good we're good to talk about here and one of them was about Brees hall who you called a hero rb disguised as a dead zone rb yeah, and I wanted to talk about what the dead zone is, and it's, you know, red rounds three through five we've talked about, but this is a fluid paradigm, and to me, the dead zone is when we start drafting running backs that we think are going to be productive, albeit sexy, 
but heavily used running backs for your fantasy team, like a Mike Davis in 2021 or a David Johnson with the Texans, where you're thinking you've got an RB2 with upside based on opportunity when you've really got like an RB4 with limited upside based on the lack of talent or juice left in the tank. But I wanted to know from you, Andrew, how do you view the dead zone? Is it fluid? What metrics are you considering when you talk about the dead zone? Yeah, the dead zone to me is the running back tier that has problems. Because mm. if you are a bell cow running back that has elite upside, you're going in the top two rounds. Like, like the market is way too, like, you don't see stud running backs fall into round three. You know, and the reason why those running backs are available in those rounds and not later on like they should be is because the scarcity of the position. It's like, oh my God, like, I don't have a running back. Like, they get pushed up naturally because of the position they play but they fall behind the top tier guys mm -hmm. because they all have issues. Like, and it's not hard to point out the issues that these guys have, you know, looking at some of the running backs last year or even this year, you know, David Montgomery is kind of like the, the face of the dead zone. He plays on a bad offense. Mm -hmm. Like there's question marks about, you know, how good is, how good is David Montgomery? And you know, when it's all said and done, okay, he becomes an RB two, but more often than not, that doesn't actually end up moving the needle for you. But you just mm. see the landmines um, as you'll kind of get into here, like Chris Carson, James Robinson, just guys that, you know, you were kind of like holding on to hope that they can reproduce, you know, the production that they once had. You know, they're really there because of what they've done and not necessarily what they're going to do. Mm. I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like a of a, a floor play. The, the I, I always ask the question, what's the value over replacement? And with the running backs you're talking about, it's like there really isn't a lot of value over the replacement. And the replacement could be a dude you found on the waiver wire, like a third, like if you're in a redraft and a third down back who, you know, has got a chance to to catch a couple passes and take him deep. Like you might have better luck starting that running back than you do this other guy who's you think is getting work like a David Montgomery who plays for a bad team. And yeah, I think, I think that a, a great litmus test is to kind of like figure out like if you're in the dead zone or you're looking at a dead zone running back is to kind of ask yourself, all right, you know, if this running, you know, this starting running back gets hurt, you know, where am I going to rank his backup, you know, on a good offense and, you know, Alexander Madison's in the lineup, you know, for Dalvin Cook or whatever, you know, are you ranking Alexander Madison over Dave Montgomery? Yep. Mm. Dave Montgomery's a dead zone. Like it's, mm. are you ranking him over Zeke? Yep. All right. Zeke's a dead zone running back. Like kind of like asking yourself, if he like, was from the a, starter. Yeah. Like if, yeah, you, yeah. if this, if this, if there was a backup running back that became a starter, because you know, I wouldn't put Madison ahead of CMC because I, you know, CMC has established himself as such an alpha, but it's that kind of borderline where you're willing to rank literally Joe Schmo over this running back going in the zone because that's really what we're looking at. Like, that's what we're kind of comparing to. And it's like, if a guy with opportunity could just beat all these other running backs, then mm. why am I drafting these running backs in the first place? I think it's a great litmus test. Yeah, you were mentioned some of the guys last year. We had the whole list here, but like if you look at like some of the bad names, like Mike Davis, obviously, Chris Carson, you know, Gus Edwards, that was an injury and stuff. Chase Edmonds kind of underperformed. We look at the the names in this year, and there were good ones last year too, but Saquon Barkley, Dave Montgomery, Gibson, Zeke, Cam Akers, James Conner, J.K. Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell, Travis Etienne, you mentioned Brees Hall, CEH, Josh Jacobs. I mean, do you think this year has a chance to like kind of buck the notion of dead zone, change the perception of what we're talking about? Um, but if not, like, what are your favorites to beat the dead zone this year, Andrew? I mean, I think that you're always going to see some guys, you know, get out of the dead zone, you know, because they're just not necessarily priced accurately. It's like looking mm. at players like a DeAndre Swift, where, you know, maybe DeAndre Swift should have been a second round pick last year. Maybe mm. he shouldn't have been going in the dead zone. It's kind of finding guys like that, mm. that fit a profile that, isn't really like the others, you know, for me looking at the quick list here, you know, guys that I think that could probably escape the dead zone, you know, Saquon Barkley, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne and Brees Hall are kind of the guys that I kind of gravitate towards. And, and even James Conner kind of had a, a differing opinion on, you know, James Conner is kind of high on, you know, st to start the off season, but then I was really kind of thinking about it more. And I was really boosting his projection based on the five, six game sample without Chase Edmonds when I'm doing exactly what creates the dead zone as an issue is you're projecting this workload that's probably not actually there for a otherwise replaceable running back. You know, James Conner has been good, but it's been in certain spurts. You know, he's been given opportunities because of injuries. And it's like, James Conner probably is not going to get that same type of workload. You know, I looked at his first half of the year because uh, I was just trying to like investigate my own ranking of him. And he had more rushing touchdowns than he had catches. 
through the first nine weeks of the season. Mm. He had five catches. He had wow. eight rushing touchdowns. And I'm like, oh, wow, shit. like that is like a number that I did not think was possible. And, you know, that's what was kind of stabilizing him when Chase Edmond was there was all the rushing touchdown production he was getting. And is it crazy to think that a combination of Eno Benjamin and Daryl Williams could just take on the Chase Edmonds role? Like, it's not that outlandish. And and now I, I feel like I need to lower my stance a little bit on James Conner and kind of view him more as one of these dead zone backs because he really fits more of that profile. Whereas guys like ETN, Brees Hall, you know, they're in the dead zone because they are just unknowns at this point. Mm. Like they're not there because they, we feel like we have to put them there. We, we, we put them there because they, they can't go into the elite tier because they haven't done anything yet, but they're only, that's why they just have to move down one tier. But kind of like how you framed Andrew earlier, the dead zone guys are guys who have done it in the past, not yes. necessarily going to do it. So guys that we haven't seen do it at all, we can't put them in that group. Right. It's almost like with Brees Hall and Travis Etienne, like their range of outcomes is more like next year we're going to be talking about them as round top two picks in the first two rounds, or they're going to be talking about them as like round eight picks, like, you know, outside the dead zone totally because they didn't fire, they became, you know, one dimensional, et cetera, something along those lines. But we have to put them in this range because that's where they go as unproven unknown commodities. But these are the guys that usually emerge like guys that have pass catching profiles, guys that are young. And that's kind of why I think that players like a Saquon Barkley, he's still 25. Like he's still yeah. super young. And I know it's been a while since he's done anything, but when he did do it, it was number one running back in the league. So even when guys like, you know, David Montgomery, Antonio Gibson put up, you know, these back end fantasy one numbers, like it's like, RB12 like and we say that's okay it's a fantasy RB1 but like we know that a RB1 overall is so much different than what RB12 is like it's not right. even really in the same range but we just kind of throw it together as oh well RB1 so I think that Saquon especially with the Giants making upgrades across the board mm -hmm. he's fully healthy I think that this is a year to be in on Saquon and to take the discount on him because you're getting the injury discount you know we have injuries happen to all of these top guys especially in the top two rounds now Saquon's falling into round three, and you're saying that I can get a guy that has the, the a possibility of catching 90 passes in a season. So we talked about the Giants receivers earlier. You know who's the most proven player on the Giants offense overall? Mm. I would argue that it's probably Saquon Barkley. So uh, yeah. if he's the best player on an improving offense, that I mean Saquon Barkley had 13 red zone touches last year. 13. That's like impossible for a starting running back to have. Devontae Booker had more than him. Carlos Hyde had more red zone touches than Jaquan Barkley did. Just like absolutely ludicrous numbers. And that was something that I picked up when I was looking at Austin Eckler. And I was looking at Eckler, mm -hmm. you know, trying going into last year. It's like, what could I have looked at Eckler and his profile? Okay, great receiver. But he took a step forward last year because he scored 20 touchdowns because he had red zone usage. And if Barkley stays healthy, he's going to be the red zone guy for the Giants. And if the Giants offense is better, he should have more opportunities to score touchdowns. So Barkley, I really think that he's a guy that I'm, I, I'm in on Barkley this year. You mentioned Barkley there, and you mentioned DeAndre Swift maybe having should have been drafted higher last year. I think Saquon is a guy that's going to end up like raising through the summer as long as he stays healthy. I think some of that hype will come up. Man, you you had a ton of knowledge there. I just want to shout out that whole segment is 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 really awesome to talk about RBs. Really, what got me though was talking about the difference between RB twelve and RB one. It's like your top five RBs they fuck hard, but like your 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 six through twelve, you're kind of like. Uh, you know, you're like it, you, the, the anxiety you get every week. You're like, should this, he's an RB one, like Zeke last year was an RB one, but like, did yeah. you feel good about your RB one no. Zeke last year? It felt no. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> so but, just, not as hard. No, nah, not as hard. No. All right. Moving on to pick Mike Williams here. Uh, Andrew, you, you said on Twitter that the sky is the limit for the chargers offense and the production from touchdowns could easily vault Williams over Keenan Allen and fantasy across all formats, despite the latter's higher projected target share. Williams has commanded 40 end zone targets since 2019. He has converted them to into eight touchdowns, five of which came last season. He finished six in end zone targets with 16, but caught only five for touchdowns with positive touchdown regression set on the horizon and a resume that features a double digit touchdown season. Williams appears primed for 10 plus touchdowns in 2022 and to repeat his wide receiver 12 finish. Williams posted highs in targets, uh, target share, receptions and yards per route run. 
through the first five weeks of the season, the big-bodied wideout was the second in wide receiver scoring behind only Cooper Cup. Big Mike finished the season as the wide receiver 23 in fantasy points per game, despite cooling off considerably in the latter weeks, in, uh, in the later weeks, in addition to leaving a boatload of touchdown production on the table. Love Mike Williams. Have always loved Mike Williams. The question I'm asking you is the same one I end up asking every single year. Is there anything in the way of Mike Williams other than his own health? No, I really don't think so. You know, Mike Williams, it's funny. We had, we played a family feud on the fantasy pros football podcast. And the first question was, you know, who is the most boomer bust wide receiver? My number one answer, Mike Williams. That is correct, Andrew, for 10 points, uh, because that's that's the deal with Mike Williams. He either scores like 50 points or literally doesn't do anything and gets hurt. But the fact of the matter that his role changed last year um, in a new offense, he was featured more as a actual full receiver receiving a full route tree. No, he wasn't just you viewed as the team's deep threat. Like he was doing more as an actual X wide receiver. We were playing as a compliment more to uh keenan allen is, instead of just like opening things up for keenan allen um underneath so i think mike williams yeah i think that the health if he can stay healthy mike williams has the prototypical size and speed to be a he's an alpha x receiver like that's what his build is like and when you're attached to guys like just that's why i like betting on guys that are just attached to good quarterback justin herbert is so good he's so he's phenomenal and Mike Williams is so overdue to catch like 15 touchdowns. Like the guy can only see so many end zone targets and not score touchdowns. It can't keep up at this rate. So we talk about, I mentioned Austin Eckler scored 20 touchdowns last year. Is that going to happen again? Probably not. And part of the reason he did score so many touchdowns is because Mike Williams wasn't converting on the touchdown opportunities he was getting last year. I wouldn't bet on that happening twice. So for me, it's like Mike Williams is that low-hanging fruit of the player that could not only be the touchdown leader on the Chargers, but lead the NFL overall mm. in touchdowns. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, ton of ton of upside with BMW. I feel like we've all been burned just waiting for him to hit his actual ceiling. He did kind of flash it last year, in like you said, in that first part of the year. But yeah, it's it's all about the health for him. But really pumped on them. All right, you've been a nice guy the whole show here, Andrew. But we got to get a little bit of like a a shade take in here. And so we we pulled and the some, last one here. Yeah, you got to bring it home. We saved the best for last, I guess. But we'll, we'll talk about uh, Dawson Knox here. You talked about on Twitter. You said, considering Knox is being drafted in the middle range of tight ends, tight end nine, that typically have poor o ROIs compared to guys going later because of the production is so close. The Bills tight end remains hands off at his current draft price. Knox's target rate per route run ranked last among any tight end that commanded 50 targets last season. Woof. Jameson Crowder is still a viable target, and Gabe Davis looks poised for a breakout. That is a problem for Knox. Dawson Knox has major red flags on his profile from his impending touchdown regression to super low target rate per route run. So any role that newcomer O.J. Howard potentially earns coming in is a massive pro problem. Diggs is great over there in Buffalo, as we know. And now we're talking about the second option for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Gabe Davis's ADP is climbing quick. Knox has major question marks, as you've mentioned here, and he's not really that cheap, Dawson Knox. Crowder is legitimately good, and Cook was known as a pass catcher, and they went out and drafted him. My question is similar to the question I had with Kansas City. Do we actually have a number two option here in Buffalo after Diggs? And are any of these options of value, or are they overpriced fallacies where they're currently at? Well, you're going to have to pay for him. Like, th that's the big thing, and I think you alluded to You hit on that. Um, it, no one's sleeping on the Bills' offense, really. Like, people mm -hmm. know that it's elite and that they throw the ball more than basically any other offense not named the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. So you got to pay up for them. But in the case of Gabriel Davis specifically, like, I, I believe. Like, I believe in the breakout mm -hmm. with Gabriel Davis as a player that hasn't even played a full-time role in this offense. And when he did last year, he was averaging over – or nearly 20 fantasy points per game. I think that the, you know, the those that are looking to kind of fade Gabriel Davis are, I think you're just overthinking it. And you're looking mm. at, well, he's not hitting X threshold, you know, be, yeah, because he wasn't playing. Like he's not, he wasn't on the field. Like the Bills have shown us that they are willing to play these veteran players over young athletes, even when they flash. They do it all the time. But now it's pretty clear that Gabriel Davis has earned the right to be the number two receiver 
opposite Stephon Diggs while they have a rotating cast and carousel of players operating from the slot. And Gabriel Davis, and every time he's gotten on the field, he's made plays. Like, he's top five in yards per reception over the last two seasons. He's top five in end zone targets all to overall, like with like DK Metcalf and Mike Evans and Stephon Diggs. And the guy has played like as a starter in like six games. So for me, I just am so tantalized by his massive upside as a player that can command touchdowns. And I just don't think it's that, that outlandish to think that a guy entering year three is going to finally come into his own. And if I have to bet on a guy attached to Josh Allen to break out and that's crazy, well then... Call me crazy, guys. <laughs> I guess I like fantasy points. What a what a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with it. I think Knox, I accidentally drafted Knox on our mock draft on Monday, and I was just like so upset because I wanted Dalton Schultz, <laughs> and I didn't realize he was gone, and the D, I, whatever. It doesn't matter because it's in June, and it doesn't matter <laughs> the D, anyways. The but, D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, just a, a sucker for the D. So that's the way it goes. Andrew, we appreciate you so much being on the pod, man, on the show here. We appreciate it. Uh, tell the people where they can find you and, and kind of what you're working on right now. Yeah. So uh, I am on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore also the same handle on TikTok as I try Ooh. to incorporate the fantasy football minds on the TikTok sphere. Get the kids in on it. You know, they deserve yeah. to have some good analysis. They, they <laughs> the deserve youth. to have some good analysis too. Yeah. And right now what I'm working on is actually a, a big article just kind of highlighting something I've mentioned a lot here. My mantra, you know, draft guys are good offenses. You know, looking mm. at the top 12 offenses and almost kind of falling in identifying potential values where how do I get exposure to all of these top offenses at the right cost? You know, mm. maybe I don't need to draft AJ Brown in round three. Oh, how do you get exposure to AJ Brown? You draft Jalen hurts in round six mm. or seven. Like, mm. so when AJ Brown scores touchdowns, you're still benefiting from it because you have Jalen hurts, but you didn't have to bet. You didn't have to pay the price to get AJ Brown in round three. So it's that kind of mindset and strategy that I'm really trying to attach myself to as I look at more of these like best offenses in the NFL. We did have one question earlier. I want to get it in before we head out to set you on the road with Mike asked your favorite sleeper past round nine at the wide receiver position. Man, I know that I've talked about Josh Palmer a lot as probably one of my favorite wide receivers past round nine. Let me just pull up my sleeper list real quick just so I can kind of re make sure I'm not missing anybody because I just write about yeah. so many different things. You go guys. with the rankings. It's not your gut. It's the right, rankings. Right, just exactly. the process. Yeah, right. <laughs> trying, to, yeah, trying to be as authentic as I possibly can be on the show. But, yeah, I think Josh Palmer is still like, just kind of like the first one that comes to mind for me. Um, Jalen Tolbert. I know we talked about the Dallas Cowboys a little bit. Mm. I mean, Tolbert, dude, yeah, like mega that. producer in the college level. And I mean, he's going to start week one. My Michael Gallup's like not going to be ready till like November. And yeah. people are still like drafting Michael Gallup. Like he's going to be fine. They wouldn't have paid Michael Gallup to just rush him back. Like that doesn't make any sense from Dallas's standpoint. So I think that he makes a lot of sense. We talked about Kadarius Tony as another guy that I think can make some noise. Oh, so actually, so my other favorite one would probably be uh, Tim Patrick uh, for the Denver oh, okay, Broncos. Yes. Um, I know that all the hype is on Sutton and Jerry Judy, and I'm on I'm on the Cortland Sutton side of that debate, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to just totally overlook Tim Patrick and the fact that, you know, with all the horrible quarterback play that Denver has had the past two seasons, whenever Tim Patrick has been out there catching passes, he's been scoring touchdowns and scoring fantasy points somehow, some way. Now, Jerry Judy hasn't done that. Like, Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick have had the same quarterbacks and only one of them has scored fantasy points, and it was Tim Patrick. So when you look at the fact that they paid Tim Patrick, when they have two, if they run two tight end sets, who's going to be on the field with Cortland Sutton? Uh, me thinks it's going to be the two tight ends, Cortland <laughs> Sutton and Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy's going to be on the bench. So mm. I like Tim Patrick. The old Tim it. Patrick nugget to close us out. That's why you listen to the whole end of the show. You get the extra juice right there. Well, we appreciate you, Andrew. For Andrew, who you can find on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore for Austin Sear. I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. Right here. Hey, you like mock drafting? So do we. Check out one of our previous mocks in the videos here and like and subscribe to catch next week's mock draft coming your way.